Hello and welcome to the Fast Break Podcast. This is Amon Kidwai. I'm joined by Patrick Martin. We've got an exciting UConn men's basketball themed podcast here. The schedule is out. We've got the XL Gamble split. We've got dates and times and television info. The boys are back in practice as well. So we've got a little bit of insight from hearing from Dan Hurley and some of the players earlier this week. Patrick, how are you feeling after the reveal of the schedule and the start of practice? I am watching so much reality TV right now, and I will be for the next five weeks. Why? Because in those five weeks, everything gets put put aside except this UConn season. It's the most stoked I've been for UConn basketball since maybe maybe 2012 and, and we look that was a letdown um but i don't know i all the pieces are are falling into place you look at that schedule and you just see so much excitement in all these games that are just going to be a thrill i can't wait so i'm getting all of my good juju i'm just like hey 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 babe what do you want to watch you know you can have the tv for the night because i know in five weeks it's going to be hey I, i'm you know, I'm Pope. I'm stoked to watch Northern Arizona uh, in Gamble or Stonehill because even those games with a team like this, that's minutes for the freshman to, you know, what if Jaden Ross has a breakout game and then all of a sudden he's feeling himself and your bench gets a little better and every little incremental improvement to this type of talented team could mean a repeat or a trip to the Final Four again which is just insane to think about as, you know, when you look back in the last five years. Yeah, I think your point about just how highly anticipated this season is is such a good one. It's really, I think 2012 does not come close, even though it's it's a title defense and Andre, yeah, Drummond, I, Andre Drummond joins the team right I before. was going to say the Andre Drummond and DeAndre Daniels double whammy that happened, what, what right as classes started. Mm-hmm. That was that was pretty insane. Yes, yes, but you know, like I think everyone is expecting a come down after you, Kemba Walker moves on, you know, to to other parts of of the world as where he was needed. So I I just think there's there's high hopes for this team to just do really well, and there's a real. Uh, you know, not to just use the phrase that's so overused, but there's a real Yukon is back element that that uh, makes it a little bit sweeter, I think. I mean, Yukon really let's let's get it out there. You know, things were really down. Things were in a real valley in in 2018. It had been the worst that Yukon was doing since basically before Jim Calhoun was there or right around when he got there. And think things had gotten really bad. Yukon, you know, the last time they win a championship, 2014, they're in the AAC. It's just, you know, not the most positive vibes all around. And again, you know, like multiple multiple key players leave the team. I think this year, definitely you're replacing a lot, of course. Andre Jackson, Adama Sanogo, Jordan Hawkins, three guys, you know, trying to make it in the NBA right now. Three, uh, two draft picks and one undrafted free agent. That's obviously a ton to replace, but the way the schedule is constructed, 
We see the opportunities for them to build that. They're going to be counting on a lot of freshmen in starting or key bench roles. And yeah, I mean, you know, it's like maybe some fans are a little not thrilled with kind of the the home slate, which if you read the home non-con slate, it's it's not awesome. It's not awesome on, on a whole level. It's um, Northern Arizona, Stonehill, Mississippi Valley State, Manhattan, New Hampshire, Arkansas Pine Bluff. I get it. Right. All teams with RPIs deep in the 300s. Mm-hmm. Like we're not, not, not just 300 RPI. This is like 330, 3, 350 types, type yeah. shit we're dealing with. But they've got, they've got good games in at Madison Square Garden, which, which of course we love to see. They're visiting Gonzaga and they're visiting Kansas. And look, most of us watch these games on TV home or away. And so in terms of the non-conference schedule, it's still pretty tough overall. They're still playing Indiana and North Carolina at MSG. Yes, UConn, you know, UConn fans show up at MSG. So will Indiana and so will North Carolina fans. I promise you, you know, so uh, I think UConn will still be plenty challenged. It just might not be, um, you know, within the confines of their home arenas inside of Connecticut. What I find interesting about the schedule is there's a little bit of like high, it's like some high, low action that as a, as a coach, especially for a team with a younger bench, it will be hard to go from Mississippi Valley state Tuesday, November 14th to then Indiana at the garden one o'clock on Sunday, November 19th. In the same way that then New Hampshire, November 27th, 7 o'clock, then tur- quick turnaround to Friday, December 1st at Kansas. That, you know, what was interesting about UConn's schedule last year is I feel like, yeah, of course, there are a couple of the cupcakes, but for the most part, it was a very well-balanced where you had Oklahoma State, you had Florida, you had these solid teams that you were playing non-conference that it was a, a level playing field this is all over the place and it's going to be tough for for Hurley and the coaching staff to get everybody adjusted to the ramp up that will be needed um and we'll get into the non-conference stuff later but I'm absolutely I can't wait I just booked my flight for to get home for the Indiana one I fly in at 10 a.m please Delta do not fuck with me uh, I fly into LaGuardia at 10 a.m. Please do not fuck with me. It's a direct, thankfully. Uh, so hopefully my hitters over there at Delta do me right, and I can get in with plenty of time to have some fun. But, and yeah, that's interesting you say. You, you make a good point about you know the garden being packed. Who would you think would pack it better, Providence fans or Indiana fans? I'm kind of leaning Indiana. Absolutely. Indiana's a better, it's, it, there's just a better national pedigree. Um, think of how many NBA, Indiana NBA people live in New York City. So that is such a great test for this young bench. And I say young bench because UConn starting five is quite experienced. Well, not quite, but they're relatively experienced. And I think they're well equipped to handle almost any starting fives in the country. And as we've talked about, you know, this team will go as far as its bench will take them. Yep. I mean, you know, and to talk about some of those guys on the team, obviously Alex Caravan, he's not your typical sophomore 
both in age and just overall maturity. And then Donovan Klingon is uh, larger than than your average sophomore. So there's that. But you know what I think is good about the the early part of the schedule is, um, you know I think the non marquee games, for lack of a better term, those are going to be where you develop those freshmen, where they have those low uh, low stakes opportunities to develop it. I agree that last year's schedule was more balanced. They that you know this is not like a football schedule. The basketball schedule is made during the off season, you know, so they make it for the team. And again, like I said earlier, I think that's, that's what's going to be appropriate here. And then even with those other games, Kansas, Indiana, uh, North Carolina, possibly Texas or Louisville with, with any of those games, Gonzaga. Well, it's, um, it's going to be Texas. It ain't going to be Louisville. Sure. But, but my, my broader point is just that like those games will be good tests and they will be relatively low stakes tests. UConn does not have to win all of those games. UConn does not have to be the axis breaking, you know, dominant team that it was last time when it was kind of like the built up what we what we thought it would be in all of our best hopes and dreams. This is a much different situation. Again, the team relying on new people and uh, familiar people in new roles. So I think the time to gel is something that's going to be super, super important. And then you want the team to be at its best possible for this Big E schedule, which is which is going to be a grind, which we expect a lot of teams to be better this year. And where we would, if we're thinking about, you know, areas of, of what we would like to see improve for UConn, it's that we'd like to see their Big East performance improve. They've, they have not finished better than third in the league. Uh, it would be cool to get a, a regular season crown which would be a first uh, for the first time since 2006 in any conference for UConn. And of course you want to see a uh, make a tournament final. You know, they haven't even made the tournament final since returning for all of the talk about how UConn owns MSG. So there's upside in, in uh, there's, or there's room to grow in how UConn's performing in the big East. Not that it takes away from any accomplishment. Of course, I am not saying that, but, in the scope of you know wanting UConn to have a better regular season performance, the the uh, the non conference slate will set them up for that. I think Kansas on the road, Gonzaga on the road makes it so that you're like let's make let's make this as tough as possible. That's that's actually really really hard. And then man, that Big East schedule, that's a grind. You know, uh, to not to say the cliches, but it's like just like no no days off in that in that league in that slate basically. Yeah, I mean, there's there's DePaul and Georgetown. Those are as close as those those are half days. I think Cooley will have them competent in that's a true. in a short amount that's of true. time. Yeah, because you know they even still had the talent in the not the very end, but but right, you know, as they were declining, they still had the talent at Georgetown. Clearly, yeah. something was up with the the coaching in the locker room. Well, and the well shit. I mean, it, if it wasn't for uh, an honestly lucky out. Alex Caravan three after a broken play, they could have lost to Georgetown and that would have fucked everything up. That so, would have been a very weird no, experience. You're, you're right. I should give Georgetown a little bit more respect. DePaul, not so much. Take them away. But you, you make a really good point because think back into 2011, think back to 2014, those 
teams really only found themselves in March. So that narrative is out there. Not that it matters, but it is a little validating for the program to have a season like they did last year, where you look at the entire body of work and say, well, besides this very understandable poor stretch in January, which no team is perfect. No, you know, there, there's no in college in the college game, there's no wire to wire type of winner. You're, there's going to be slumps, but that was validating last year to say like, no, besides that weird stretch where, you know, three straight games against top 25 opponents, they were steamrolling people. And this year is the chance to really put a stamp on that with the Big East title. It's the last jewel in, in Hurley's crown that he really needs. He's won November tournaments. He's obviously won in March. Now is the time to bring home either a regular season title or a Big East title to really kind of get that exclamation mark. Uh, he's got people in the NBA. I mean, he, he's rounding out that resume so well. The last thing you need is that type of Calhoun sustained dominance of like, oh, I mean, what were the years they won the Big East? Like, I think you rattled it off once was, in the slack. Some, like, yeah, it was some crazy run of, um, you know, like in a something like a 90 to 98 stretch winning five or six. Right. Just obscene. That is what. I think UConn fans demand, maybe irrationally, but you know who's who's to say that is the next step. And it's you know looking back, it's going to be tough this year because you know I just talked about how the beginning part of that schedule was just fucking brutal. Where I was, I, I Providence, Marquette, Creighton, um, and then somebody else. This year, it has a brutal end when you look at, at Marquette, at Creighton, Villanova, Seton Hall, at Marquette, at Providence. And it's a soft start, though, with Seton Hall, St. John's, DePaul, Butler, Xavier without Zach Fremantle. Um, so it's a it's a it's a very hard, like a harmonious balance when you say like you're playing all these blue bloods in the non-conference and then you can kind of start to build a base in that non in that conference in the Big East schedule to start, and then hopefully the freshmen are up to speed. The Samson Johnsons and the Hassan Diaras are accustomed to their expanded role, and then you 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 finish the season strong with that gauntlet. And is it you know however it shakes out, it's it's challenging enough that they're you know they will be ready come march you know if they whether it be a two seed three seed four seed god forbid hopefully not like anything like a five or a six because we've seen how long that can go but it's a schedule that sets them up nicely for postseason play whether that be the garden or the big east tournament yep and speaking of the garden they'll they'll get to play as we mentioned uh they'll be playing in the empire classic november 19th and 20th they will get North Carolina on Tuesday, December 5th for the Jimmy V Classic. And then they'll also be at St. John's, uh, which will be one of the seven national broadcast games for the Huskies. Uh, that'll be a particularly good one. Uh, the, the, the reuniting with Slick Rick Patino, uh, noon game on Fox, MSG, 
that's um you know that's fun uh actually when they host St. John's will be their first uh it'll be a primetime national broadcast that'll be 8 p.m. on Fox the Georgetown home game for some reason is going to be uh on Fox I guess Ed Cooley is just yeah that's the Ed Cooley effect that good that... for him <laughs> good for him yeah good good for you Ed Cooley Marquette that makes total sense you know I think those are just going to be two absolute battles this year UConn Marquette vaunted uh, rival Marquette for Twitter <laughs> listen guys you do not have to respond to the sponsored content you do not have to let it affect you you don't have to quote tweet the big game boomer you, they're called aggregators not. for a reason because yeah. they are you know they are aggregating you ah, that's a bad joke but they, they want you, you they that. want to they want your quote tweets. They they feed off of your hate tweets. They would they would put out a pea guacamole recipe if it thought it meant three more retweets. Uh, so at, at any rate, I mean, I I do think not to you know that's obviously that diagram notwithstanding. If you talk about the opponent that you are expecting to have the most intense games with this season, that is Marquette by by far, and I think you've got to give it to Shaka Smart. And the fellows over there, they've got a really great thing brewing, and it's going to make for some really great games. And especially uh, when they have that one, as you mentioned, in that final stretch of the season, you know, probably, uh, you know, first or second or third place in the Big East on the line during that stretch. So that that is going to be really fun. The Villanova home game is going to be at Gamble at 8 p.m. February 24th on a Saturday that is a very exciting prospect uh, for for the people. At Nova might get flexed onto national. It's not on the list yet. Um, Seton Hall at Gamble will be on CBS. Okay, oh, great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, and um, and then March 9th, which is the regular season finale, at Providence will be on Fox at uh, the Amica Mutual Pavilion, formerly the Dunk. So that's a, you know, it's, it's, UConn is the marquee team of this league. It's getting the best billing possible. I, you know, I didn't look at all the other teams. I'm sure this is the most primetime games of any team besides maybe Ed Cooley, I guess. Maybe Ed Cooley and uh, Patino are on, are on a lot, but I think uh, overall really exciting slate for a title defense season. One where you're expecting UConn to be good and uh, you know, it's about a month away, but it cannot come any sooner, basically. It, think about there's always teams that surprise, like UConn did, what they um they were receiving votes for the top 25 uh entering last year. Right off the bat, the UConn's playing six top teams that are like ranked in most of these way too early top 25s. The AP pool obviously hasn't come out yet, but widely expected that there will be six teams there. And then when you factor in guys like, you know, Providence could punch above their weight, St. John's in the dark magic that's brewing over there. Uh, they could sneak into the top 25. Um, Xavier, maybe Fremantle comes back. I mean, they, they got a couple of good transfers and Sean Miller has tapped into that Rick Pitino dark magic. So, you know, th there's a chance that they're, you know, we're looking at this season ending in February and March. We say they've played seven top 25 teams, seven or eight top 25 teams. And if you go five and two, six and two, something like that with those, 
you are well set up to have the resume um, and hopefully the experience to do some damage in, in the postseasons. Did you see the latest Rick Pitino quote? Speaking of damage in the postseason, by the way, did you see the latest quote from Rick Pitino? He said something he'll like walk into the New York said, Harbor. Or, yeah, he said, if we, if we don't win the national championship, I'm going to jump into the East River. But he's so, he's so, he's so, look at so, this guy. God, what a sick individual. Um, he he's so sneaky with it. He didn't say when. He, he didn't say if we don't win a national championship this year, right? He, he just said if like, we. He made it sound like this year. I don't have the exact quote in front of me. Okay, you know, well I'm, then, I'm if, also if, reacting to an aggregator now. Yeah, if I'm shooting from the hip here, then I apologize. I'll put my hand up. But if it's just saying, oh, we don't win a national championship, fine, great. Okay, well he could say that about you know his entire tenure there, which you know, could be two years if, you know, the right. freaking Knicks come calling or something like that. So <laughs> oh God. don't, oh, don't believe me. Guys, we're, I can't believe it's the year 2023 and we're starting to take anything Rick Pitino says seriously. Like I know. Hey, good for an him. Ama- an amazing coach, 100%. And there's, there's no doubting his accolades. But, I mean, the dude knows how to work the media. You are just falling right into his trap. Absolutely. And they're going to. I mean, what do you think they're going to do? These are all people. Let's just have this conversation, right? You know, the national media, they're like people who've been talking to Rick for 20 years. Many of them thought it was a tremendous, what was it, you know, a a tremendous comeback story, what he did with Iona and all that stuff. Um, Then what happened? They can't wait. They can't wait to, they can't wait to slobber Rick Pitino. They can't wait to be like, oh, look at this guy. He's back. The king is back. That's what they want. That's your... That's what your lamestream national media wants. They mm-hmm. want Rick Pitino back. Unbelievable. And look, I, I'm told, like, I like the story. It is cool in of itself. Do you, okay. but like, like that is cool. He is such a legendary coach and it's so good for the league. And I do like his sort of you know, whimsical, you know, he has this whimsical Twitter presence almost where he's making jokes and if some big cultural thing comes on he chimes in with something witty but that doesn't mean we need to be slurping him as much as you know like you said the lamestream media and you can also say at the same time that like yeah he turned iona into a pretty good team but they only made what one two ncaa tournaments in his three years uh they got pistol whipped by uconn in the second half last year let's not forget um, so he's, he's not some, he's not perfect. He's insane. He's a hall of fame coach, but let's just, let's just yeah. relax here with the, with the Rick Pitino, you know, walks on water type of stuff. Mm-hmm. He exactly. also brought, he also brought in like 14 transfers. Yeah. He's Which, hey, going yeah, to be babysitting the entire time. That's, that's the slick Rick way. So in a, in a real abstract way, I, you know, would think it's cool if St. John's was good It'd be cool if the team in New York City that plays some home games at MSG uh, could be good or could be, you know, anything remotely relevant, something it has not done in basically three decades. Uh, Shout out Ron Artest, you know, like the the great former St. John's player of note. Otherwise, there is none. There there is no great St. John's player of note uh, over these last few decades. And in that respect, I'm I'm interested in that getting better and. You know, if if uh, they can steal some some shine from a Providence College or a Villanova, 
yeah, I, I'm, I'd be thrilled for something like that to happen. If those NYC and New Jersey players go to St. John's instead of Villanova and experience a better life where they don't have to live in the suburbs of Philly at a vanilla institution. You know, I think that's great for Oof. them. But wow. you know, I, I said all those things. I said exactly what I meant. Uh, but wow. Kyle, Kyle Neptune over here catching strays. Well, Villanova University catching catching some well well earned uh, heat from me and others. Anyway, uh, you know, so in that respect, I think it'd be cool in an abstract way if St. John's is better. I think it would be, as people say, a, kind of a BS phrase to me, but you know, good for the league. I I do there's I do believe that there's no some that's that's a thing that that is a thing. Does it get yeah. used too much? Does yes. it get abused? A hundred percent. But there are certain things that are good for the league. UConn yes. coming back, good for the league. In the same way that this is St. Yeah. John's, you know, re- revival here, good for the league. Yes. Ed Cooley, like pulling a Judas. Yeah, well, that's is, awesome. Is good for the league. That's um, really awesome. That's the best yeah. for the league in my like, you, you know, the more story and these are Big East tinted glasses for sure. But the more storylines you have, the more it takes away from when you step outside the Big East, all the bullshit conference alignment, the football money, and all the other stuff that is dominating the college basketball landscape. And say, like, no, we have legitimate, interesting storylines here in the Big East, up and down the league. And I struggle to find another conference that has that without big dollar signs behind it. Exactly. No, it's it's really it, great what the league is doing. Right. Yeah. It's just yeah. I w- I will say you know to bring back the uh, X Y Z is better when X Y Z team is good uh, a construction that I absolutely hate generally speaking. Uh, although again, I do believe that there's some truth to it for St. John's uh, for a variety of reasons. I did last year. There was like a athletic reporter who, who uh, wrote you know, college basketball is better when Georgetown is good or the big, you know, the big East. And I, and I push back on that a little bit. We don't, we don't need, again, the Georgetown itself does not need to be good. It already had a good run. That good run exists in the annals of history forever. And right now they are trash and that also works. You know, that's also compelling for the league, I think. Uh, So that's where I push back. I, I was kind of mad at seeing, I was like, that's like such a brainless take uh but i do think that's true about georgetown and i think look same you know let's let me just turn it around if let's say yukon gets bad i'm not going to be like yukon needs to be good it's for the big east's best interest that's you know that's that's a little bit silly and self-serving and again it's just kind of like a nonsense take so especially because if yukon does fall off a cliff that usually means someone else is on the rise maybe kim english has turned providence into some super power and in the grand scheme of things when you step outside connecticut that's good for the big east if yes if it must be that way right so that's right. why it's generally now, that there's good zero the chance of that happening there's of zero chance of that happening so yes 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 but we're, we're just you know, we're just completely hypothetically twisting ourselves into a pretzel right now we're, we're testing our takes because we want to make sure that we are the objective observer um I think that's all for takes that we have on on the schedule. We we did we had a pretty good run there. Unless you have anything else, um, 
I I was just offering running down the leaderboard here of predictions. Gonna venture a guess and say they go ten and one or nine and two in the non-conference schedule, and then it maybe five or six losses in the Big East because. I mean, looking through it, let's see. I mean, do you want me to go down the leaderboard here or what? Do it. Okay. Uh, I'm only going to point out losses for brevity's sake. Um, okay. Very easy, light schedule to start. Uh, home at Creighton is like the first big top 25 test of the not of the conference schedule. Uh, but then three days later, they at Villanova, um okay so they say that's a loss um at st john's loss i'm not assuming these are losses i'm pointing out potential you know potential landmines there at creighton loss they always drop a stinker at some point so throw that in there i i don't even know where but it's going to happen somewhere you just hope that it's not to someone like DePaul. uh so that's a loss and then Marquette and Providence to end, you have to assume they're going to lose at least one of those games. And that's five or six losses right there. And there's a chance none of those are bad losses. Mm -hmm. I I don't have, uh, I don't have boy math in front of me or whatever they call it, but that's, (laughs) you're just shaking your head. That's 26, 27 wins, something like that. And if you, assume that you did there's no bad losses that's what maybe second seed in the big east thir- third seed maybe a two seed then in the ncaa tournament depending on how you how they run through the garden and that's overall pretty damn successful and sets you up i'm not making any predictions about where they're going to be and what they're going to do but that sets you up for both tournaments to make the runs and that's all that, that's all we can talk about here in, in september Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, where I'm at is I think this is a good year for UConn to grab one of those league crowns. UConn is one of, if the not most talented teams in the league, and obviously ha- is one of the best coached teams in the league and has a lot going for it, obviously. So I think I think in that respect, that's uh that's where I'm at. Someone's got to win it, you know, and it's going to be a competitive league, but I, I think, I think UConn has a chance to finish first in the league. I have, I have the two losses in the non-conference slate. Um, and I think, I think the, I'm going to go with one just oh, because nice. I see, I think they can beat Indiana. I think they can beat Texas. Uh, even though Texas will be a barn burner of a game at Kansas. I mean, as much as I'd love to see them just absolutely destroy that unserious six six school, um, that's that's really hard to do out mm-hmm. in fog. So that there's your loss. But then I'm not scared of Gonzaga in Seattle. Uh, case oh. in point, look to the Elite Eight game. Come on, oh. did, I, can we can we retire the Gonzaga is relevant takes? Uh, and North Carolina in the Garden. I I you know. Not diving too deep into it, but I like the way UConn matches up with them when you think Klingon can check uh, Armando Baycott, uh, and then there's enough talent around to, especially in the garden, 
I, I really don't see them losing that game. So there, there's a real chance. I think they've got one, one loss, but yeah, continue. Nice. So, yeah. And then I, I actually think the league should go well. My, my real big prediction is that they don't have any or, or very minimal, you know, zero to one unexpected losses. Whereas last year, let's say, let's say they had two, Really St. John's and Seton, St. John's Hall, and Seton Hall yeah. were pretty brutal. And I feel like I'm forgetting. One. I mean, Xavier at home is is on its face, not a bad loss, but the way it kind of went down was obviously. Yeah, that was, that was torturous. So, you know, let's, we can call it three last year, something like that. Three, three performances that, that did not meet the calling. I think really one of the things that is coming in culturally with, with Dan Hurley and these guys is just not, having those days off and not missing anything. And that's that's what I expect from the big league slate, big East slate, is that um, I think they'll be able to do a lot better. I, I think that they can keep that to a minimum. I understand they're dependent on a lot of freshmen, but I, I think that middle class of the league is a class below UConn. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'm, I'm expecting that to be the case as of this year. And so especially when you consider uh, some of the injury woes like Xavier with Fremantle um, and you just consider like, despite Cooley, which we talked about, you know, being able to get them to a level of competence, it's still a first year, first year coach situation, Providence, same thing, St. John's, same thing, you know, where it's like UConn losing to St. John's, for example, this year, I mean, it can happen, but it shouldn't in, in my opinion. And so I think UConn will take care of its business a little bit more in the league slate. And like you said, there still are some tough losses to be had against the better teams uh, and, uh, and, you know, against certain teams on the road, that's, that's always going to be tough, but, um, and then even Villanova, for example, you know, not that strong, not that strong. No, so, I'm bullish so on I Villanova. Like, so I like UConn's chances to just compete and be better than those teams that it is a class above. No. Uh, I'm, look, I I love it. Very brave of you to to make to make that stand, but in, 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 I will dive into the whole team dynamics on, on later episodes for subscribers. I'll make sure you subscribe, by the way. Um, but I yeah, read reading a couple comments, and we can shift into like the first couple of practice things. I think teams have the best culture when the coach's message and the coaching staff's message is most easily transferred to the players. And I think last year that was all Andre Jackson and Adama Sonogo. Who is the person to deliver these culture messages and to avoid trap games like the ones we you talked about? Who is the person that delivers that message? Is it... Alex Caravan? Is it Tristan Newton? Is it Donovan Klingon? I, I re- read or listened to a couple of Hurley's quotes about Klingon stepping up his leadership. And he he had some really good lines about, you know, you're not the goofy freshman anymore. You, you have to be the asshole a little bit, essentially, what paraphrasing. But and Klingon has this happy-go-lucky personality. I'm not saying he's soft at all. Don't get don't get me started on that. He's an absolute dog, but can he lit light, you know, rip into his teammates when he, when they have to that I'm pretty sure in a way Andre Jackson did. If you watch the games, he is talking to his teammates nonstop. 
And I think that is what's most important of like, there will be off games. Like it's college basketball. These are 18 and 21 year old kids that we're talking about. There's going to be some bad games. Who is the person to grab them out of that? Like Andre Jackson did with not only his leadership, but his overall impact on the game. And I'm not saying they're going to stink or they're going to underwhelm because I think they're going to be scary good. But there's also going to be a couple of those games could be early, could be middle of the, you know, the grind in the big East, but there will be a similar stretch where they look like a very subpar basketball team. And I think fans again, have to be okay with that. You know, the the freshman bench, no, you know, real proven leader captain. I mean, the storylines all were last year were like, you know, they got these three, the big three are ready to go. And I feel like the big three this year were almost kind of like appointed by like that, you know, kind of self-appointed really. And that's not to knock on Tristan Newton, Alex Caravan or Klingon at all, but you almost have to go through the fire. And when you have a national championship season, you, you, you almost forget all those trial and tribulations that like Andre Jackson and Jordan Hawkins and Sonoga went through during those two upsets in the, in the March, you know, that, that, that fueled them. Mm-hmm. Who, and- who on the team went through that? Yeah, and and I think let's also talk about the the other departures from the team who are not on NBA rosters, but Nahima Lean, an experienced guy who's now on St. John's, and even Joey California to some extent uh, for what he brings. This year, those roles are being occupied by freshmen. Other roles are also being occupied by freshmen. So I think what's interesting and exciting is back to an earlier point that you and we were making about kind of UConn's sustained excellence they're in a much better place to be able to do that, right? With all these people staying, all of these guys, Hurley basically said the way it works with these really talented freshmen now. And what I did with Jordan Hawkins was I said, I need about 15 minutes from you a game as a freshman, and then we'll let you fly as a sophomore. And I think he's probably got, you know, two or three other people besides Steph Castle who are, who are in that kind of boat. And that's why this class was so, Mm-hmm. talented and highly coveted coming in he had jobs to offer and instead of offering it to someone a little like a Naheem Aline or a Joey California he's offering those Joey California minutes to a high four-star freshman and saying those are for you and look in this era of the transfer portal where a guy can leave any time that's really really smart he's doing he's doing team building he's doing mm-hmm. it the way he wants to but he's also adapting it for the high high level that UConn plays and recruits at. And that is what is most exciting. Um, He has had very good things to say about Jaden Ross and solo ball. Uh, Mm -hmm. Hurley and their teammates have been saying that. Of course. I hate to sound like Rothstein, but I'm I'm talking to my financial advisor now and I'm, I'm saying, Hey, I have this mortgage here. It might be worth something. Can (laughs) can you just put all of it on, on solo ball? The dude just, baby. Oof, yeah, I, I think that's going to be the one that we talk about and, at, you know, in two or three years of like, hey, remember when we were excited about solo ball coming in mm-hmm. here? Um, yeah. he, he is going to be an absolute predator, I think. Do, do um, you remember the comps that, that Rothstein threw out for, yes. for solo ball? Catino Mobley and yeah. who was it? Oh, I'll never forget Catino Mobley. Catino I think Mobley about Catino Mobley. Yeah, great player. I great think about player. Catino Mobley. I think about him more than I think about the Roman Empire. Absolutely. (laughs) 
I I um, thought of I think of Katino Mobley or this solo ball uh, comp. Let me know what you think about this again. I love to do these really great aspirational ones involving former UConn players. I'm thinking like a way more athletic Christian Vital. Um. Yeah, like you know, like a like a guard that just plays like a dog, does whatever. You yeah, want. not huge, right? Not huge, but huge in spirit. And and gets everything done that you need. A type of a, a fan favorite type of individual. I think he's. I think that's going to be what's the billing on him in terms of his play on the court. Um, I I got a different yeah. one. Let's hear. I was going to say a, a more charismatic and chiseled Jerome Dyson. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you got you got a, a higher outlook for him even as a freshman. Uh, mm-hmm. Some something Jerome Dyson esque. Nice. Well. That's uh that's a good set of comps. We've got Katino Mobley, Christian Vital, and sorry, who I just literally oh Jerome Dyson. Uh those are that's a that's a good comp comp universe for our guy. But anyway, I, I think that's what's really interesting and exciting is that this is not this is not a finished product team, but it's still going to be pretty damn good. You can see it maybe shades of like the 2003 Huskies team. 2005 Huskies teams. So I, I was going to go. I was going I was, three and two. Okay. I was going to go 11 in, in the sense that that freshman mm-hmm. class had Shabazz, Olander, Giffy. Um, Roscoe Smith was like the highest rated. Um, there's one other guy, too. I don't know. But either way, you know, Shabazz and Roscoe were. Oh, oh, Jeremy Lamb. Um, you know, Shabazz, each of those freshmen kind of had like, okay, Shabazz will handle the ball and be the complimentary handler for for Kemba. Jeremy Lamb would be the other shot creator. Niles Giffey would be the tough defense and occasional three. Ross and Olander's the real the, bucket getter. Oh, he had the first bucket of every game. It, that was one of the coolest things ever. It, I, I wish there was online betting then because it would be, you know, those first basket bets imagine the money we could have like the sickos could have made because it was oh. it's every damn game in the tournament oh so good so good throw tyler. it down to tyler olander he cooks josh harrelson and uconn to kentucky nothing and we're off to the races but those freshmen all played like you said played like a little bit part with their specialty skill and you can see a little bit of that with this freshman class where solo ball will be kind of the uh, the the point defender you know the point of attack defender ball handler um Jalen Stewart kind of like the next stretch four in the caravan mold um Jaden Ross is like the switchy three that you can kind of have him guard different positions push the tempo uh Yusef Sangari as um you know the next rim protector although you know it will be tough for him to get minutes behind you know Samson Johnson and Klingon and then you have castle as like the stud it's not the perfect comparison but they each have different skill sets that are immediately transferable to the college game if they can be properly mined and i love what you said about like the program building of like i I know from my own experience playing college soccer you know freshman year you know it's a rough year and what keeps a lot of freshmen going is like the 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 future prospect 
of like, if you get a little taste of it, like you said, 10, you know, we need 10 or 15 minutes from you. We're not going to overload you. And you're, you know, you're a part of this. And I think that is so rare in the college game. And coming from experience, that is so great to hear as like an 18 year old on your own for the first time of like, Hey, like I actually matter here. I don't have to come out and light the world on fire or else I'm going to get buried. And kudos to Hurley for creating that culture because it's more enjoyable, honestly, as a fan, as opposed to getting to know, you know, six new transfers every year and people coming out in a revolving door. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very commendable and respectful way that like, you know, a really, you know, sketchy and shitty college game does have like a few, you know, bright spots. And and I promise this isn't like home built eyes. Like if, if I wasn't a big UConn fan, I've, I, I got people saying like, Hey, like I like the way UConn does it over there. It's there. There is mutual respect in the college basketball world building because of what Hurley's doing. Yeah. Which is great. And I think there's a lot of factors contributing to it. Uh, you know, like we've, we've discussed a lot. UConn is, has just never been that school to kind of stack up blue chip prospects and hope it works out. Um, it's always kind of been a, a tweener on that front. It's, it's not like, I mean, obviously a lot of the talent was, was homegrown, but um, it's it's not like it was uh, also like a super developmental program. Tons of talented players came uh, came through. Uh, so that's always been the case. But I think what you just have to give Hurley so much credit for, and that we'll have a lot of articles actually on this in the off season, on kind of the evolution of Dan Hurley as a coach. He has talked a lot about how he has learned to embrace offensive strategy and even acknowledged some deficits that he had on that front and worked on that over the last two off seasons ago to be able to get UConn to where it is. And, you know, the results really bear that out. There was some great reporting from the athletic uh, uh, this past NCAA tournament on kind of Andre Jackson and how that got turned around. They found better spots on the floor and then they just said, don't shoot from anywhere else. And he got his, shooting percentage up to like 80% from twos from, from below 50. So there's some really great stuff that he's doing. He's, he's evolved his on-court strategy. He's evolving how teams are built. What he did with Donovan Klingon, that's incredible. That No one else does that. No one has ever done that in the history of time recorded before that you have a player with the skill set of a Donovan Klingon and you're able to say, hey, accept this bench role for certain behind a guy who does not have the same NBA upside as you, by the way, uh, you know, a thing that I think is so smart by Hurley, but something that a lot of people get really hung up on and play 10 to 15 minutes a game as the backup center for what we think is going to be a really, really special UConn team. And it worked out better than you could have ever imagined. Well, and schematically too, He's playing drop coverage when Klingon gets in, and then Sonogo is the high hedge. You have to have the whole all of the four other people on the on the court in tune with okay, Donovan's in now. You know, we're we're doing drop coverage. We have to adjust our 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 sets, you know, more, you know, more in tune to him. And to have that that transition be for the most part seamless is uh, you know, it, like you said, it's it's so impressive. 
And with respect to that team building that we have been so fond of from Dan Hurley, a very big name recruit just made a visit to UConn. We would be remiss not to mention that number one overall prospect, Cooper Flagg, someone whose highlight reel is already making the rounds before he has even set foot on a college campus. Uh, it has UConn on his list, made a visit. It's down to allegedly, reportedly, Duke, Kansas, and UConn. Good list to be on for the Huskies. And uh, Flag made a brief appearance at the UConn-Duke football game. Like most of us, if we were at a Duke-UConn football game, uh, he left rather quickly. Uh, went on to do other things. We hope he had a pleasant visit. Sounds like he did spend a minute or two at Ted's, uh, which would have been my choice as well. So yeah, Cooper Flagg, we hope you had a nice visit at the University of Connecticut. Thank you for the consideration. He ain't coming to UConn. Come on. Okay. I, you know, I, it, it's really cool that that visit is getting ESPN little um, headlines. That's great. That's great for the brand. I, I, yeah, we're, t- we're talking great for the brand. Like we were just shitting on it before. Um, you know, I have neutral college basketball people texting me and be like, oh, happy Cooper flag weekend, Pat. And it was, it was actually funny because I was weirdos. I, I was just grumpy and I was just like, I don't give a shit. This is stupid. Like he's not coming here. You know, true. Uh, truly Donovan already like refuted the Duke claims, blah, blah, blah. And my friend who um shall remain nameless, but is a fan of a certain basketball school in Kentucky that can't seem to get out of its own way, essentially said, Pat, shut the fuck up. You guys are hosting the number one ranked recruit. Do you have a great shot? No, but just be happy about that, that he at least put you guys on their list and enjoy it. Enjoy like the, the mystique of it all. Like, don't be such a downer, like enjoy a little bit of the, you know, the, the mystery behind it all and, and the mystique. And I agree. He he was absolutely right. I ended up mea culpa. I got a little too cynical there, as I tend to do. Uh, he ain't coming here. But at the same time, I really enjoyed the social media that came out. The main jerseys with uh, Donovan and their, their respective mothers. Such a classy, classy touch by, by Hurley and, and the coaching staff. The chains and the lightsaber. Okay, not my, you know, cool, but it looked it looked interesting, and I'm sure some people thought it was cool. Um, but the the best part to me was seeing, uh, like the the the, the, the accounts on Instagram like to have like the most traction always appear first when when posts like that. So you could see a whole ton of current UConn players. Uh, alumni such as Isaiah Whaley, Tyrese Martin, RJ Cole, um, all saying like, come on, dude, make the right call. You know, like do it like, you know, this would be so cool. I'm butchering their, their delivery. And I talked about Shabazz's post of like, do the right thing, young fella, Uh, especially coming from a, a guy from Massachusetts and Maine. It was so cool to see everybody fall in line. Now at the same time, can we please take a step back that type of you know culture and social media blitz is everywhere 
He's going to do it for Duke. He's going to do it for Kansas. He's going to have Kansas alums blowing him up on social media. He's going to have Duke alums blowing him up on social media. It doesn't necessarily make UConn special. What you just want to do is just say, hey, that's a cool brotherhood, and that's it, and move on. Hope he comes here. And I I mean, I enjoyed all of the attention after, you know, kind of getting my mind checked, but let's leave it at that. Yeah, it's it's kind of like being nominated for for an Oscar or a or a you know major award like that, and you kind of know you're not going to win, but really the experience you get to the award show, you put on the tux, you get the gala, you you go to the after parties, you know we all enjoyed the Cooper flag after party, uh, on which is just us on social media scrolling. That's the Cooper flag after party. Um, all indications are that he's not coming to UConn. Let's put it that way. All right. Uh, I think many people in and around the program have not so clearly, but clearly made that clear that uh, that that is the case. Props to Dan Hurley, uh, you know, for doing the photo shoot. Would would love to know what's going through his mind in that moment when he's doing that. But hey, at least uh, at least our coach has more swag than the Duke coach and the Kansas coach combined. Uh, we know that that's true. And yeah, look, here, when to just speak in more direct terms when we talk about good for the brand, just so it's not kind of like a vague notion. When when there's a number one type recruit who is this hyped, who's again, who the NBA social media accounts are tweeting out his highlights of, there are people who follow the NBA who are just following Cooper flags every move. And literally their perception of what is a good basketball, college basketball team is affected by, okay, well, what, what was Cooper Flagg's list? Cause I don't, you know, cause I don't watch, I check in for the March Madness and whatever, you know, UConn, I know they've won a little bit, but are they really like serious like that? And if you've been following the top recruits over the last 10 years, no, UConn has not been serious like that. UConn did not get serious like that until a recruit that was, already committed to them, moved way, way up in the rankings in Stefan Castle. So, yes. Uh, do you, is, it, is it unusual to see so many people take it so seriously when the likelihood is low and when all indications are that this is a, this is a Duke fella? Um, it's still good for UConn to flex its muscles like that, like you said, while the people are watching to say, okay, look, We'll do uh we'll do your visit here. We'll do this, we'll do this really great, you know, thing with another guy from Maine who's, you know, we'll we'll honor the mothers who played together at Maine. Uh, you know, incredible thing to be doing. And those are all pieces of, you know, where where UConn builds itself up so that, you know, who else is watching Cooper Flag? Every number one recruit. You, you know, every five-star recruit you know they're watching what's going on with cooper flag you know what they're going to do at the next camp they're going to say hey cooper what was uconn like i would be thrilled to get an offer from there and to go there and, and he's going to say look i'm not going there but they've got really nice facilities they they practice hard as hell and they're definitely got a you know winning culture or whatever you know that's maybe now i'm now i'm really dreaming there but at, at any rate well, here, no, he has a good no, visit he tells I... people about it I can apply it like a real life scenario. I don't follow the recruiting that much, but at least I can give you a couple of names. Um, AJ DeBansa. 
he was, I think he's the top, he's 2026 number one recruit or maybe 2025. I actually, I think he's 2026. Well, he's from Brockton, Massachusetts. And I think UConn has offered him. I, I will have to double check that. Um, but he's, there, you know, there will be a long line out the door of suitors. And he is a perfect example of, like you said, he'll talk to Cooper on the AAU circuit, say like, hey man, like how was UConn? That was a cool, you know, that was a sick jersey thing that you guys did. Oh yeah, it was great. I don't know. I just wanted to go to, go to you know, he, he, you know, I wanted to go to Duke. But um, like you said, that is, you know, the word of mouth of that kind of thing will travel. Um, and yeah, maybe you miss out on Cooper flag. Maybe that just is like the little 1% that AJ DeBansta needed uh, to say like, yeah, I kind of want to stay home and, and be that guy. Mm-hmm. And, and also added on if like, um, if Donovan Klingon and Stefan Castle have great years in our top five picks, yeah, that then takes a DeBansta or DeBansta was like, oh wow, okay, they 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 took those guys and and really got them up in there. This wasn't like a, you know, Jordan Hawkins back of the lottery. These are these are bona fide top five picks. Okay, that's, you know, that shows something. That's does that mean you're maybe too that all will occur too late for Cooper Flag? But this is, again, how the program takes the slow, methodical way of like step by step, brick by brick. They are building something here. Okay, we're going to miss on Cooper Flag, but we're going to nail this visit so everybody sees that like we're legitimate here. We're not like, oh, shucks, you know, we know you don't really want us. You know, we know you're just here. No, they took that shit seriously. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's great. Great to see. Great to see. Can't wait to beat them at Duke. But um, yeah, great to see. Great for the program. The program. Enjoy, enjoy the ride. Enjoy the Cooper flag ride. But yeah, please do not get too invested in the actual chase because uh, you should not get too invested in the actual chase for any uh, high school sports prospect. That's not healthy behavior. The fast break does not recommend. So just to uh, to Bansta has off scholarship offers from Providence, Georgetown, Kentucky. Duke, North Carolina, Alabama, and Washington. He is the top-rated player in the 2026 class. Don't know anything about a reclass or anything like that, but one to put on your radar. Again, please don't go dive deep into his highlights and you know seeing how he could potentially fit and play with you know Jaden Ross or somebody like that. Let's not go get ahead of ourselves. But they are you know this is chess, not checkers. A uh, good good list of visitors expected on first night, which is October 13th, in advance of the season opener, November 6th, against Northern Arizona. We'll expect the ring ceremony occurring on that day as well. It bodes well. It's exciting. It's great. Uh, some other people that we're excited for include Andre Jackson, who has joined the Milwaukee Bucks. This offseason, as a second-round pick, he did sign a guaranteed contract. He's going to be on that roster. And it sounds like some playing time just up, opened up for him. Patrick, as yeah, our he, resident NBA expert, what, what can you tell us about it? He walked into Milwaukee and kicked Grayson Allen out. Huge win for UConn over Duke there up in up in the uh, the Cheese State. Um, yeah, I mean, he he – Granted, he's he's not a perfect NBA prospect. You know, he they 
like you said, UConn had to find ways to make him fit for him to be successful. Uh, but his role will be, his usage rate will be smaller in the NBA. So you're now when you look and say, you know, the Bucks torch their depth to get Damian Lillard and Giannis together. What they need now is another ball handling switchy guy who can shore up the defense, especially if it's Lillard is not a plus defender. Sounds a lot like Andre Jackson to me. And it does not surprise me that I think for the most part, he had a good summer league. He, he popped a little bit and there's no coincidence that the bucks probably made this trade because they said, well, we like what we have with Andre Jackson. We can afford to, to trim some of this depth here and use it as a piece to make Giannis happy. I, believe that Andre Jackson was a focal point, not a focal point, but a component in that trade. I I agree. I think that has clearly been the case. And they also moved Drew Holiday off off the roster. So that, again, also it just clears up more minutes in the guard rotation there, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, He was more in direct competition with with Grayson Allen for the time, Mm -hmm. but... Yeah, I mean, there was a glut of minutes opened up there. And then when you look at Tyrese Martin signing a one-year deal with the uh, the Timberwolves, and then Rudy Gay, one-year deal with the Warriors doing some ring chasing, um, that's it's awesome. You know, great. Haven't really dove into, you know, Tyrese's impact with the Wolves yet. Um, but, you know, we you know what Rudy Gay can give you at this point in his career. And you know that the Warriors, if healthy, will be in the picture. Um, you know, they, they they shook things up with the Chris Paul trade, but they got Steph, they got Clay, and if you have those two, and I guess Draymond Green, you're going to be in the in the conversation. So there you go. There's Rudy Gay. Hopefully can get a well deserved ring after bouncing around on some truly awful teams in the last ten years. And yeah, that's, it's exciting stuff for, for UConn alumni. You got Shabazz Napier posting Instagram uh, stories about Cooper flag on. Yeah. Fun times, fun times we've got. um, Yeah. I mean, with gay, it's like, he's become another one of those UConn players whose career is now in the teens who teams are signing because he's so good for the for the clubhouse and all that stuff. I mean, you saw it with Karan Butler, Rip Hamilton, Danielle Marshall, um, Clifford Robinson, rest in peace. You know, so many guys who did that. And Rudy Gay is another one. It's it's awesome. I mean, you know, gr- great for him that he has that reputation. Tyrese Martin, uh, also extremely happy for him. We lamented him being cut by the Hawks after hosting what seemed like really strong numbers in summer league. It just goes to show you, you never know. And obviously summer league is not uh, all about your kind of points per game and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so the the thing that I'm excited about for him is just that when you get cut from a team in the summer, that's kind of a turn it. That's kind of a potential inflection point. Anything can happen at that point. That's where maybe you sign you sign in Mexico or Hungary or something like that after you kind of get cut after summer league, but it's a good sign. I think for just what the kind of consensus opinion is on Martin without us having to kind of be talent evaluators to just say that 
the Wolves signed him. He'll be there in camp. Uh, he'll have a chance to make the roster. If not, he can sign an Exhibit 10 contract where you play on the G League team, uh, but you get a you get a higher salary and you're still able to get called up. So uh, still a lot of good options for Tyrese Martin. Obviously, he was a little bit older than most rookies, but uh, he could still make his way in uh, to kind of the the league. But at any rate, just good to see good to see him getting paid to play ball. I just took a quick glance at the uh, the Timberwolves depth chart. Um, he, you know, obviously you got Anthony Edwards out there, who's coming becoming one of the most exciting players in the game. Backing him up is Nikhil Alexander Walker, who played at Vatech, if I recall. Uh, he's he's a pretty good good player as well. As is Troy Brown, who's more of like a small forward type. Um, and then you factor in Kyle Anderson who is like the, you know, kind of like the ball handling mismatch type of guy, six, nine, eh, that's, that's a little dicey. Those, those are three solid players that will be very hard to kind of play over barring any injuries, but the, the wolves like them, you know, they, they signed him for a year for a reason. And hopefully he gets his shot because I still think he has a, the three and D skill set uh, and enough athleticism to, to, to carve out a cup of coffee in the NBA which would be awesome at, at any rate, uh, you know, Rudy Gay, you know, I don't know what his exact situation was. I know he was part of a trade and then got released as part of the trade, which again, without being talent evaluators, typically is not the best sign for your uh, future pro- professional prospects when you're part of a trade and then waived and and nobody claims you, but uh I mean, for Gay to land with the Warriors, adding to the ranks of Huskies in the NBA, a group that we've discussed, we are eager to see additions to uh, this year's team as well. Could see some a guys, quick, but we don't, we don't need to get there. A quick look at the Rudy Gay, or at the the, the Warriors' step chart. Uh, they got Jonathan Kaminga in his spot, mm-hmm. but Gary Payton, the, the second they have listed as like the backup to Clay at, at small forward, which, you know, Gary Payton junior is six two uh now i know they like to play small ball with Kayvon looney and everything um but he, rudy gay's skill set is something that that second unit doesn't really have which is like a go-to mid-range like bucket type of guy so yeah i can i can see a world where he carves out 10 15 minutes maybe you know an appearance yeah maybe not that but that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of minutes for him. It's going to be a lot of yeah. Maybe for him. okay. Maybe it's more about Blake Griffin <laughs> on the on the Celtics type of thing where he's he's there as the culture guy and you know in a pinch break glass and type of emergency. Maybe he's uh maybe he's the towel. You just kind of throw him in when it's uh when things are over. But either way, um, I do see a skill set that works there in the same way as Tyrese. Maybe I'm just. Maybe I'm just way too optimistic. This take could look absolutely dog shit if they cut him in January or something. But yeah, I I, I would find that hard to believe. I, I bet they don't cut him in January, <laughs> but we'll see. I guess uh, you know anything could happen. I I don't know as much about the the NBA and its transaction uh, whims, but I feel like if if the Warriors sign a Rudy Gay style individual, they they at least know what they are signing. It's not like, oh, sh- oh shoot, you. We thought you'd do something completely different than this. Uh, so I, I imagine he'll uh, have a pretty good shot. That is going to do it for us. Thank you all for listening.